I am a perpetual traveler through the Bible. Please join me for this bird's eye view of the scriptures. Stay as long as you like and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible from the beginning to the end. The entire purpose of the revelation of God's Word and the entire work and ministry of the Holy Spirit to interpret, illuminate and to teach is wasted if we do not begin to grow into mature human beings as God intended and if we do not begin to discover the possibilities that God has for us in His great plan. This is what the Scriptures are for. This is why there is so much shallowness in Christian life today. It is because there is inadequate preparation. The ploughing has been left unfinished. Maturity is the demonstration in the life of any believer of the image and character of Jesus Christ. This is explained in Ephesians 4 verses 13 to 15, which declares that the Bible is designed by God to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. What this passage clearly tells us is that the revelation that the Bible brings is designed to mature us, so that we are no longer children, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that blows. As sons and daughters of God, we begin to know where we are going, where we have come from, and why we are here. The first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, demonstrate the pattern of God's work with all men. Each of these books shows us a part of the program and plan of God. These five books show us the way God works over and over again in human life, and God does not deviate from this. Genesis is the book which reveals the need of man. Exodus reveals the grace of God and the redeeming work of the Holy Spirit. Leviticus is the book of worship and of access to God, the book which teaches people how to live with God in their midst. Numbers is the book of wandering, of the desert experience, the ups and downs so familiar to many of us in our Christian lives. Deuteronomy is the book of helplessness and of obedience in depending upon God the book which corresponds to the sixth chapter of Romans, where we have the preparation of the heart to enter into the promised land of rest in the work of another. We are now going to look at the third section of the Old Testament, which are the five poetical books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. Although we call these books poetical, it doesn't mean that they rhyme. It means that they have a structure of repeated ideas. This is the form of poetry the Hebrews used. These five books are marvelous books of expression. The poetical books are the demonstration or reflection of the rejoicing and the protests of man in response to life. These books show all the feelings of the heart and the yearnings and desires of every man and woman. Hopefully by now, we all understand that man is a threefold being. 
These five books show what man is, so they fall into three divisions which correspond to the makeup of man, that is the spirit, the soul, and the body. We will start with the book of Job, which expresses the needs of the spirit of man. In other words, it is the poetry of the spirit. Job is the oldest of the books of the Bible, and it is the deep protest of the spirit of man in the face of apparently senseless suffering. Most biblical scholars place the time of the book of Job between the 11th and 12th chapters of the book of Genesis, which is way back in the history of man, somewhere between the story of the Tower of Babel and the calling of Abraham. Whether we experience directly or indirectly a tragedy which seems to make no sense, we all should find ourselves asking why. We feel some protest against this kind of thing and anger at this kind of tragedy. The book of Job deals with this problem squarely. It tells us what the answer is, for here is the cry of a tortured man who cannot understand the ways of God. The book of Job is actually a rather simple story. It begins in heaven with an encounter between God and Satan. Satan comes and challenges God, and God challenges Satan in return and calls his attention to a remarkable man named Job who lives in the land of Uz. In Job 1.8 it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Notice that Satan does not challenge that statement, but he does raise a question about it in Job 1 verses 9 to 12. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. After this came one tragic event after another. An invading army took away all of Job's wealth. A terrible windstorm destroyed his house, and all his children that had been gathered in it were all killed. Everything was swept away in one day, but Job was absolutely unmoved. He bowed in sorrow before God, but his heart was open to God. Job 1 verses 20 to 22 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe, and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. In Job 2 verses 4, Satan made that famous statement, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has will he give for his life. In other words, Satan was saying, you haven't touched him deeply enough yet. The result was a terrible outbreak of boils on Job. Scripture tells us that he was covered with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. So poor Job took a piece of pot to scrape himself with and sat on ashes. In absolute misery, he faced the situation in which he found himself, the cry of a tortured man who cannot understand what life has done to him. 
In some small way, I can relate to the suffering of Job. In 1997, shortly before the birth of my son, I came down with a bad case of chickenpox. I had never had the disease as a child, and let me tell you that if you get chickenpox as an adult, you will be very sick. I was covered with itchy, painful blisters from the top of my head to the tip of my toes, and I was in agony for more than a week. I could not lay down, I could not sleep, and there was no relief from the unbearable pain of the blisters. But my encounter with adult chickenpox was nothing compared to the physical and mental anguish of poor Job, and all this was made worse by the visit of his three friends. Job's friends have become famous. There is a well-known saying, with friends like this, who needs enemies? However, they were very comforting at first. They sat there for seven days and seven nights and never said a word. They sat in silence, suffering with Job. However, each one after this gave a long speech. Each of his friends said that Job's suffering was a result of personal sin in his life. All three friends tried to get Job to confess the sin which they thought must be the reason behind his terrible suffering. There are many people like that today who insinuate that suffering is because of some terrible sin you are not willing to reveal. Job replied as well as he could, but his agony was only increased by these men. Then there came a fourth young man who modestly said he had kept silent as long as he could. We meet men like this today. Speakers who cannot keep silent. This young man's argument was that sickness or suffering is a form of God's discipline, intended to bring Job back into fellowship with him. We all face questions like this when we encounter senseless suffering in our own lives. Is the reason for our suffering because of personal sin, or is God disciplining us? In Job chapters 38 and 39, God himself appears and takes up the argument of Job. In Job 38 verses 2 to 3 God says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, I will question you, and you will make it known to me. God asks if Job can answer any of a number of simple questions, and we should also try to answer these questions ourselves. Chapters 38 and 39 of Job are an examination in natural history, and are one of the most remarkable passages in all literature. God begins with the simple question of Job 38 verses 4 to 7. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? God then moves on to more difficult questions in verses 12, 17, 19, and 28. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? When God is finished, Job is totally humbled, and says in Job 42 verses 6, Therefore I despise myself, 
and repent in dust and ashes. If you read Job, and hopefully you will, you will discover that Job is actually Romans chapter 7 in another form. Look how Paul ends chapter 7 in verses 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is the message of Job. We need to learn that apparent punishment or suffering at God's hands is but the way by which he teaches us that man by himself is helpless and that he can do nothing without God. God is sufficient for every circumstance of life. All man needs is God and God only. When we come to this place in Job, or Romans 7 for that matter, then we should be ready to declare along with Paul his words of Romans 8 verses 1 to 2 and 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is where Job ended up. When Job realized this, God in tender grace and mercy poured out blessing upon him and Job entered into what is the equivalent of a Romans 8 experience. If you would like to understand the book of Job, read Romans 7 and 8. And if you want to understand Romans 7 and 8, then read the book of Job. This is David Wiles, your fellow traveler in Christ, and this has been the podcast of the Bible, From the Beginning to the End, Episode 12. Thank you.